should never have opened this place again. There's been too much trouble here. Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. Oh, wow. His Your podcast is stupendous. I was working the day that it happened, preparing meals. Here, I was the cook. Jason should have been watched every minute. He was... Your pods are just so juicy, dude. He wasn't a very good swimmer. We can go now, dear. I think we should wait for Mr. Christie. Oh, that's not necessary. I don't understand. You got perfect ad placement, baby. Welcome to another episode of Because Movies, where we are taking this Halloween season to look at the slasher remake craze of the early 2000s. We've looked at Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween, and tonight we're going to be checking in on Jason Voorhees with Friday the 13th, the original from 1980, and the remake from 2009. I got my buddy AJ here with me. Say hello, AJ. What's up, y'all? We about ready to revisit the of the slashers and i'm chris we are here because we love movies because we love talking about movies and that's what we're gonna do tonight so the original friday the 13th didn't really kick off the slasher craze of the 80s but it sort of cemented it in pop culture it seems like uh, halloween was obviously a huge hit and kind of set the template and then when friday the 13th came out then the uh, the knockoffs and the ripoffs and all that stuff just started coming fast and furious. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it feels like Black Christmas showed how to do it. And then Halloween showed that people really wanted to come out if you did it like a thrill ride, awesome ass kicking mm-hmm. slasher. And then Friday the 13th showed that if you amped up the gore, people really talked about it. Yeah. What year did Black Christmas come out? I want to say 74. Okay, so it was several years before Halloween. Yeah, at least, yeah, uh, four years. If it is 74, which I think it is. Uh, yeah, 74. Yeah, I'd only seen Black Christmas maybe the, for the first time like four or five years ago. That has become huge in the horror community, but at the time, I think it was like a, a modest or a small success. I don't think it was a flop, but it, it didn't break out like Halloween did. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That kind of was like, here's here's a really great template for how to do this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. And someone like John Carpenter was paying attention and then went off and that blew up. But it wasn't gory the way that Friday the 13th was. And Friday the 13th said, if you marry gore to that template, audience <laughs> don't come. Audience going to show up. If you kill them, they will come. And, yeah, and the, the writer of the first Friday the 13th, Victor Miller, I've seen on Maybe it was on that Crystal Lake Memories, one of those talking head things about <laughs> He freely admits, like, yeah, Sean Cunningham, the director uh, and producer, told me, hey, Halloween's making a lot of money. We're going to rip it off. <laughs> and well, sure. that was the commission for him to write a movie that was a ripoff of Halloween. And he, he even mentioned, like, yeah, we took, an, a, you know, a horrible event happens. 
move ahead 20 years and it kind of starts all over again in, in modern day, you know, for, for the 80s. And he, he isn't like he's not missing words like he doesn't care. It's just like that's just what it is. Uh, everybody kind of knows it. So he didn't have any problem admitting it. But Yeah, and I can appreciate that. I'm going to do a quick plot summary here. I'll carry that baton to the end line, bro. So Friday the 13th, 1980, came out on May 9th of 1980, directed by Sean S. Cunningham, written by Victor Miller. Has a runtime of about 95 minutes. Made for a budget of 550000 Did a box office haul of about 598000 million so pretty successful and as we said you know led to a lot of a lot more slasher flicks throughout the 80s especially the early 80s but the plot of this one pretty much is just uh, we open on camp crystal lake in 1958 some of the counselors are getting busy when an unseen assailant murders them brutally flash forward 22 years to 1980 and a mustachioed hunk named steve is looking to reopen the long dormant camp. To do so, he has recruited several randy young people to help get the grounds in order and serve as counselors. Night falls, storm sets in, and the teens are dispatched in grisly fashion one by one, even Steve, until our final girl, Alice, is the only one who remains. So take it from there, AJ. Alice is confronted by the killer who reveals herself to be Pamela Voorhees, a distraught mother whose son, Jason, drowned at the camp decades ago when some counselors were getting it on instead of keeping an eye on him. That was the murders in the beginning. Alice manages to kill Mrs. Voorhees via beheading before drifting onto the lake in a canoe. When she thinks the nightmare is over, she is suddenly grabbed by a young boy from under the water. Later, Alice awakens in the hospital safe and sound, but the sheriff tells her there is no sign of any child in the lake. That's some scary shit, bro. Oh, man. You know what I'm saying? That's awesome. Yeah, so fairly straightforward. Uh, like you said, that. they're really heavy on the gore. They pretty much just threw a bunch of kids together and murdered them in in <laughs> horrific fashion. Yeah, quote unquote kids. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Which you know you need. You know, you need people pushing thirty <laughs> to play these kind of characters. I mean, what are you doing if not? Before we get to our nor like our normal back and forth about the movie, I wanted to to bring up the significance of Friday the 13th and like I was curious and I've thought about this before and never really looked into it about why Friday the 13th is supposed to be like an unlucky day other than Uh 13th is an unlucky number but why Friday the 13th so I just looked on Wikipedia and there are several like uh, sections about it but the most interesting to me was according to folklore historian Donald Dossie Mm -hmm. the unlucky nature of the number 13 originated with a Norse myth about 12 gods having a dinner party in Valhalla. The trickster god Loki, who was not invited, arrived as the 13th guest and arranged for Hor to shoot Baldur with a mistletoe-tipped arrow. Cool. Um, so that major event in Norse mythology caused the number 13 to be considered unlucky. But that isn't the same thing about the, the day Friday. It's always fucking Loki, isn't it? You got that right. But hey, if it's Tom Hiddleston, we're always charmed and we just let it. He is charming, but he's he's a menace, man. He's a menace. What is uh, your history with Friday the 13th? I I don't know if I've told you mine or not. I think I have. But we'll we'll go with you first. I was born about two weeks after this movie came out. So obviously I didn't see it in a theater. It It was later on for me. But, you know, I was five when it came out. And it was not long after that. It was very much around that time. Like, that's when I really started having memories of TV and movies and shit and, and the VCR that we had, which was a new thing and all that stuff. But I remember 
I've looked back on these memories and what I remember the most is the sequel because it was the the image of Jason's mom's head found in that cabin at the end mm. uh, on the thing, you know. That is the first thing I remember knowing about in reference to anything Friday the 13th. And then not long after that, they must have played it on TV because it was like with Halloween. They put ads in the paper and ads in the TV guide. And it was this big deal that Friday the 13th was going to be on TV. And I remember I must have been six or maybe even close to seven. So this uh, is on network TV? It I, it had to have been. But they would have, you know, just like with Halloween. Well, much more than with Halloween. They would edit it all to hell. Right. Um yeah. But I do remember specifically seeing the what I what I found out was the poster art of the movie, the one where it's the silhouette of the killer with the knife in the right hand and there's the blood on it. But inside the silhouette is like a shot of the woods with the moon and then a few of the campers standing there all like, you know, pensive, like what's out there? And that stuck with me. And then, of course, within the next couple of years, I ended up seeing the first one I, I saw after, I think, probably maybe even part three. I know I didn't end up watching it on TV then, uh, but I do remember that I knew about it and that I understood that it was really gory and that it was really scary and it was a big deal. And all of our parents were mostly all our parents were not cool with us watching it. But <laughs> some of the kids I knew had cool parents or like not exactly the most the most observational parents, <laughs> shall we say. And those kids got to see it and those kids were able to sneak off of the VHSs and we got to see it. And But I know I saw the second one. The first, first one I saw was the second one. I may have seen this one after seeing part three and it was fine. I always really liked it in the terms of it was a novelty that Jason wasn't the killer. Yeah. Because Friday the 13th to me already at that point was synonymous with Jason. And it was always kind of like, oh, it was his mom. That's kind of cute, you know, which is dumb. But that that's how I remember feeling about it as a kid. And, you know, the other movies were the ones I had the bigger, better experience with in terms of my experiences with Friday the 13th. So it was more the franchise than the first movie specifically, even though, like I said, the image of the poster really stuck with me from a young age. That more than seeing the movie itself really hung out in my mind. What about what about you? I don't remember you telling me. Was it something that your brother showed you and they shouldn't have? Because I really I really hope that was the case. <laughs> yeah, it was. So I was probably like three or four, and <laughs> my brothers were watching it probably on USA or something. I don't know because I mean, this is the time when you know, we were really poor. I don't know how. Maybe my dad was stealing cable. I don't really. <laughs> I don't know how we were even watching this, but um, my brothers were watching it and they let me watch part of it with them. And the scene where Kevin Bacon gets the arrow through the neck mm -hmm. really freaked me out. And so mm -hmm. for weeks, uh, I would not go to bed unless my dad checked under my bed <laughs> to make sure <laughs> nobody was under there. Logical. Yeah. And they were really, yeah, my brothers were not, um, uh, my parents were pretty pissed at my brothers. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't probably watch the entire movie for, you know, decades maybe uh mm. the first one i actually remember watching all the way through might be jason x because that's a that one i went to see at the theater and i had always seen bits and pieces of the friday the 13th movies on usa probably maybe on hbo or whatever but you know when i was really young i was kind of too scared to watch horror movies so i would watch bits and pieces and then turn the channel and i remember even by the time i was like eight nine years old when like jason takes manhattan comes out mm-hmm the Friday the 13th franchise was kind of a joke. <laughs> we were How kind of, dare you? <laughs> but like, yeah, even me and my friends, and when we were kids, we were like, how many of these movies are they going to make? Uh, you know, it just seemed like 
I don't know, kind of like the Saw movies became eventually. And I was a little kid. I wasn't even watching these movies. Maybe I was just echoing what my older brothers were saying. I don't really remember. But once I get into my like late teens, early 20s, eventually I went back and watched all of the Friday the 13th movies. But um, never been like a huge fan of them. I've, I like the franchise as a whole. I, there are a few movies that I think are really cool. But well, I don't have like a, a huge love for the, for the franchise. Of course you don't, Christopher. They traumatized you as a young, young <laughs> man. And that's really what it is. And that's okay. It's not that the movies suck, although some of them are not great. They're all fun. But I, I've convinced myself of this. That's what it is. That's what it is. You <laughs> hey, saw Kevin be... Bacon get his throat punctured with a very sharp arrow in a very realistic gag shall we say. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, it's colored your perception of them even as a, as a grown-ass man, and that's okay. That's okay. Trauma affects us all differently, Chris, and you shouldn't be ashamed. <laughs> no shame. No shame in my game. No uh, shame in your game. But, yeah, rewatching this one, I, I it's a pretty good movie, you know, for what it is. It's not as good as Halloween um, no. or Texas Chainsaw, which we covered, you know, those two recently. But um, uh, it's pretty solid. It's not overly gory. There is some, like, pretty extreme stuff, like the axe through the head, specifically, is probably the biggest gore effect. Maybe. Yeah, and, and even that is just an appliance after the fact. You don't see the axe get in her head. Like the way you said, like the, the, the two most graphic in terms of what you see, you have the arrow through the throat and then you have her head cut off at the end. Other than that, everything you see is all after the fact. It's really gory. <laughs> they're really right. they're really intense Tom Savini awesomeness. But, you know, it's surprising to me that there's only so much actual like you only see so much violence being perpetrated. You see the aftermath. Yeah. And but the, there is a like an uncut like I've got the. Blue oh, yeah. And Annie being being thrust throat sliced in the beginning. Yeah, that's probably I mean, that's the first other than the counselors in the flashback sort of or in the in the 58 sex section that's the first like big kill and it's pretty it's gnarly it's gnarly i love yeah. it but yeah there's there's an un, like an unrated version on mm-hmm. the, the blu-rays that i've got and i haven't watched it so i don't know how much more was added back into it as far as like the violence and stuff it's really just annie's throat slashing as far as i remember oh really it's it goes on a little longer or is clearer or something that's mostly the one that i think i've seen over the last few times i've watched it so i just think of it in those terms i don't really think about it being a little edited for the r um i'm pretty positive it's just annie Gotcha. That, that's really the, the the big difference. I don't think there's really any other difference, as a matter of fact. Well, let's talk about, I guess, the director a little bit, <laughs> Sean S. Cunningham. And I don't really have a hell whole, of a businessman. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't have a whole lot to say. He was a producer before this on Last House on the Left. That's probably the biggest thing as far as cultural impact anyway. And as a director, he did a few other horror flicks that I've seen. Deep Star Six. Mm hmm. And I guess he was only a producer on House and House 2. I've seen those. But yeah, it seems like he's much more of a producer after, you know, the early, late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Um, I know he did. It was called um, The New Kids. That's the one. I was really upset for a second because I couldn't remember. Um, The New Kids is is one I watched a lot as a kid. Is that a horror flick too? Yeah. Yeah. Total horror kid. Uh, Well, yeah, I guess you would call it. <laughs> a horror a horror movie it's listed as a thriller so that's kind of a, a blanket term that could be applied to yeah like, i mean it's it's more of a kids run amok thing you know and spader's playing a psycho james yeah. spader Lori laughlin yeah uh, eric stoltz tom atkins 
That's right. Gotta check this out. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. Yeah, it's interesting. Vader is out of his mind as a psycho. It's cool. Um, and then the one with Rip Torn as a slasher. Rip oh, wow. Torn slasher. How awesome is that? <laughs> Just those three words together are slash, rip, torn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, that was uh, A Stranger is Watching. I think he did that right after Friday the 13th. That was kind of, a again, a thriller, but he put a little more you know, darkness into it or whatever. I remember, I, I think I saw it as a kid and my mom made us like leave the room or something. Cause it got really <laughs> bloody at some point or some shit. Um, Based yeah. on a Mary Higgins Clark novel. It's a, yeah. Yeah, I I, either. yeah. Okay. Um, rip torn. I, you know what? <laughs> when you said rip torn, I don't know why, but I was thinking of rip Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> That's a like, completely different experience. <laughs> I cannot express this uh, strongly enough. A Rip Taylor slasher would be the shit and much worth watching, but probably in terms of experiences delivered, the, uh, the, the you could not get farther away. Yeah, I think Rip Torn could probably embody that a little better, I would think. He was pretty scary, as I remember. Yeah. And Deep Star, Deep Star Six is fine. I never liked it as much as Leviathan or The Abyss, which were the other underwater things that came out at the time. But it was fun. That's fine. I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, I caught it on Netflix five, six years ago, maybe. I'd never seen it un- until then. But um, Leviathan, I actually watched last October. Me and some buddies drove to Nashville for a, they do a 12-hour horror movie marathon. Well, shit. Um, it starts at like 10 p.m., goes to 10 a.m., and they don't reveal the movies beforehand, so you never know what you're going to get, I guess. That would be rad, though. So I saw Leviathan, Exorcist 2, Wreck. Wreck? The, the zombie apartment building movie. Oh, gotcha. I'm thinking like a car wreck. No, no, REC, the, yeah. uh, no, Wreck is fucking killer. Yeah, the, the American version with Jennifer Carpenter, I forget the name. Quarantine. Quarantine is good too, though. I I saw Leviathan for the first time there, and it was pretty cool. But yeah, man, seeing that on the big screen, I envy you. Well, I had to sit through some horrible shit too. (laughs) Uh, They showed Blood Diner, which was cool. I'd never seen it with a crowd, and it played a lot better with a crowd than when I watched it on Hulu a couple years ago. (laughs) Uh, But but yeah, it was a cool experience. I bet being with your fellow, you know, movie nerds, (laughs) your brethren—that's how you do it, right? Awesome. Yeah, Cunningham, like you said, more of a businessman, it seems like, which is perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, but I don't have a whole lot to say about his, his filmography. I've only seen, you know, really a couple things. But I think as a director, he's a pretty good businessman. <laughs> but, Fair you enough. know, he's really smart and he's not incompetent in any way. I think the first one is a good movie in that it's not it's not the direct that a lot of people will point to and say, that's why slashers suck. I think a little bit of it is not particularly inspired. I don't think the writing is always great. But again, it's kind of like you said, they were they were really ripping off of Halloween. And this one, I think more than Halloween, deals in, how to say it, not set pieces exactly. Mm-hmm. But it does seem to kind of go from this more than Halloween, I think, began to set the table for what would come with slashers, not just with the gore, but the way it is built from going to, from one sequence to the next in terms of and now there's this scene in this area kind of like a video game that you're watching someone play and i don't mean this i do not mean this as a negative in any way what i mean is just you know now you've got this person in the cabin what's going to happen here oh and now we're following this person who's out by the uh you know the archery range Ooh, new 
it's bad out there. And then now we're back, you know, in the showers and it's just not episodic. I don't really know how to describe it in the way I want to. I guess it, it really is. is just from scene to scene. Yeah, it all it seems like there's like a set piece for each of the kills. And we're just yeah. uh, follow this character for, you know, five minutes until they're murdered. And then we're going to mm-hmm. switch back to the other character. Yeah. And this is really kind of laying that prototype for uh, what many other slashers would do with that. Way more than Halloween did. Halloween, it felt more organic. And I don't mean that to slam them here either. I just mean that they had a very clear vision, I think, of, look, we all know what we're here for. This is a slasher movie. We know what we're here for. We know why we're doing it. Let's just do that. And Halloween, you know, aside from the opening with the two murders there, what are there, three? Or, yeah, three murders i think yeah just annie linda and bob right so yeah whereas in in most slashers after that we're going to get a big group of kids together you know seven eight nine kids and we're going to go and they they do a good job of that here Um, again i mean i do have some problems with like some of the dialogue i don't think the characters are very interesting in terms of what they're given to do i think the actors have to carry any likability just by sheer force of personality alone i mean that's why i kind of like the girls come off okay. They're all pretty likable. Kevin Bacon comes off fine because, you know, Kevin Bacon had charisma. I think the one who suffers the most is Bing Crosby's boy, Harry, <laughs> as what is his name? Uh, I don't remember his name. Uh, Bill. Bill. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's fine, but, you know. Now, which one? I would knock <laughs> Ned the fuck out really early, too. <laughs> Ned deserves a fucking punch in the face, and I, I don't believe that no one there would do it. I think some. I think at least one of the girls would flip out and just punch <laughs> in the face, at least. But yeah, Adrian King is wonderful, and it's because she she is just inherently likable, which is good that they figured that out and cast her to play Alice because <laughs> we got to follow her all the way to the end. Um, and Annie is the girl that uh, is hitchhiking at the beginning, right? Yes, she's she seems very hippie-ish and fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, she. I, I thought she was fairly charming. Yeah. Yeah, but again, you know, this is my zero year theory thing, which is that. It came out in 80, so it was filmed in 79, and it yeah. just feels very, it's a 70s movie, you know? And that her character the most is like, oh, yeah, yeah, 70s. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, what do you, I mean, what do you think about the actors in them? Yeah, I, none of them really particularly stand out to me, except for, like you said, Adrian King and, again, Annie. I liked her. Mm-hmm. Bacon is... I mean, I'm, I guess I'm almost distracted by the fact that it's Kevin Bacon in this movie <laughs> with a cast of people I've never seen in anything else, really. But yeah, he's fine in it as well. But yeah, no, the only other person that stands out really is the guy who plays Crazy Steve. Ralph. Oh, Peter yeah, Brown. Crazy Ralph, obviously, yeah. Um, Steve yeah, I will, I will never forgive Steve Christie for his uh, fashion choices. <laughs> it's just too much. It's too much. Yeah, that, 70s or no. It's it's the hair, it's the glasses, it's the mustache, it's the jean shorts. The bandana, the shirtlessness. Right. Yeah, and all of that is doing all the heavy lifting for him. But it makes him very memorable to me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can't argue with that. And then, of course, we we must speak of Betsy Palmer, who was doing a whole ass thing. Yeah. I have heard. She was known for... TV work, right? From like a 60, 50s, 60s era. She, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I could not name any of it to you. I know she thought of herself as coming from the stage. Oh, okay. 
Um, well, I, and I don't mean that in any shitty way. I mean, I mean, that's what she, she was proud of her stage work and was known for it, but that's where she thought of herself as coming from, because that's what I was going to bring up. Apparently when she, now, again, these are, these are stories I've read in like Fangoria magazines and online and shit. So, I mean, the veracity of said tales are only so strong, but I believe them. (laughs) I believe that the story I heard was when she's smacking Adrian King around, She's smacking Adrian King around. Oh, really? And apparently Adrian King was like, you hit me. <laughs> you know, like you really just fucking fooled off and slapped the shit out of me. Yeah. And Betsy Palmer was like, I come from the stage, dear. And like, she was like, oh, okay. And they kept going. That shit on stage. I'm- <laughs> yeah. They kept going and she kept slapping her. And I, I, you know, she goes to Sean Cunningham and she's like, she's really hitting me. Sean was like, well, she comes from the stage, dear. You know, because she's, I mean, when they just filmed it, she just smacked the shit out of her for a couple of days or at least a day, which is awful. And yet also kind of funny. I'm not laughing that a woman got hit. I just, it's just funny that I'm watching this movie and it's this, you know, fucking state actress. Like, you know, we really hit each other on the stage. We just will give it to you. We, we can laugh about it. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's always been something I, I have enjoyed hearing. I always, I love hearing about the nuttiness of actors because they're all crazy. Yeah, you um, probably have to be to. Uh... <laughs> yeah, you know, and I have long thought of myself as a writer to one degree or another, and writers are definitely fucking crazy. <laughs> so I, I say that with no judgment. You know, I'm just trying to stay it's fat. a different brand. Yes, exactly. Two different flavors. So you mentioned Ralph Walt Gorney, I believe. Gorm Gorney, yes. Yeah, he he's um, definitely makes an impression. So is he the original Harbinger? Uh, you know, they, they parody the Harbinger in Cabin in the Woods. Yes, uh, they do. One of my favorite modern horror movies, which is unbelievably a decade old now. But uh, <sighs> Don't uh, tell me these things. But, is you know, I, I only really know of the Harbinger character really from The Hills Have Eyes and from Friday the 13th. Is that... I know there's other pervasive trope that i'm thinking of or there's at least a couple more i can't name them offhand because they're all pretty low budget between like probably 80 and 85 you know what i mean yeah probably stuff i haven't even seen some some of them anyway yeah it's always just some asshole who's making sure he's got to tell you that where you're going is fucked up you know he may not actually say the words death curse like you know crazy ralph (laughs) but you know he'll tell you you don't want to go up there He, he dies in the second one right yes just like just like alice yeah, it, is Adrian King in the second one, or do they kill Yes, her? no, they kill her. It's very sad. It's, that is one of my least favorite tropes of any slasher or horror sequel, is you bring back the person who survived in the previous one. Sometimes they recast it, and that's just insult to injury, you know? Yeah. But it's it's just as bad when it's the person you recognize, and you're like, yeah, you fucking killed the... Bo- oh, my God, he got you. Oh, my God. Like, we haven't yeah. even gotten to the credits yet, and he fucking killed you. Oh, my God. It sucks every time I hate it. Yeah, I've never liked, I've never liked that trope either. Mm-hmm. It's um, a shitty trope. <laughs> and watching Adrian King die is, it, it's cruel. And I know, I'm sure to a degree, that's why they did it. Steve yeah. Meyer wasn't fucking around. He's like, I got to show these kids that they are not <laughs> in safe hands. Just because it's a part two doesn't mean we ain't going to go hard. And I so, think part two is better than part one. I think part two is one of the best. Well, forgive me, because I have only... I've only seen part two maybe once. Yeah, you're not forgiven. <laughs> I'm trying to think of my history with, with the franchise again. I know I've seen the first one several times, maybe three or four times. Bro, the first yeah. one isn't even in my top five. 
I've seen, I saw the third one in 3D at a local theater maybe five years ago. They did a, a 3D screening of it. That's um, awesome. That's really cool. Also, not <laughs> in my top five. Yeah, it's not great. It's um, it's fine. Yeah. The one we got to get you most... watching the good ones. Are you going to say Jason X? Please say Jason X. Oh, I've definitely seen Jason X the most. <laughs> <laughs> but of like the class, like the 80s era, the one I've seen the most is probably six. That's the one with the pyro. Mm, yeah, yeah. With the telecarry. Girl, right carrie meets jason that's the one yeah. i've seen the most of of the uh classic era i guess of friday the 13th which i guess is acceptable i mean it's not <laughs> really the best that's seven six is uh jason lives is that the fake jason no that's jason five i mean friday the 13th five a new beginning uh where it's the paramedic guy who yeah. goes insane after they chop up his boy um <laughs> Some people, that's gotten kind of, a, I mean, I think it was always loved in certain circles because of the sleazy nature of it. It's directed by Danny Steinman, who I don't think could, like, open a door without leaving a little bit of, like, a mark, you know, like wetness or something. He also did Savage Streets, and I think actually some either softcore or full-on hardcore in, like, the 70s. Not that I'm judging him for that. I mean, some the guy who directed uh, Alice Sweet Alice, Alfred Soul, who was, like, kind of an artist in his own way. He was badass, and he directed some uh, fuck flicks. Anyway, that's not what we're (laughs) here to talk about. Yeah, Five is Fake Jason. Six is the one that's one of the first self-aware kind of meta movies in a horror franchise Mm -hmm. that's the one where the caretaker guy looks at the camera goes some folks got a strange idea of entertainment (laughs) and it has weird jokes in it like what did what did you want to be when you grew up because the kid thinks he's gonna die Mm. from jason it's funny it's great stuff i fucking love that one on any given day my favorite friday the 13th movie the movie i would put in the top spot i know you didn't ask me to rank them but i did and i wouldn't i can't choose between two which is just one of the great slasher movies to me. I it's nearly perfect for for exactly what you want a slasher movie to do. It it just does not get better than part two, I don't think. And four is absolutely outstanding. That's the one with Corey Feldman and the one where they said they were gonna kill Jason. So they called it the final chapter. I think even to themselves, like, look, if we call it the final chapter, we can't make another one. We gotta keep ourselves honest, right? And they're all lying because money. Anyway. Yeah, money talks. Exactly. It's either two, four, or six for me. On any given day, my number one Friday the 13th movie is one of those three. Because it's just fucking awesome. All three of them. They're amazing. And then after that is Jason X. Because fuck yeah, bro. Fuck yeah. (laughs) That movie's fun. And then the remake. The remake, which we'll get to. And then Jason Goes to Hell. I have no shame (laughs) for putting Jason Goes to Hell above all the ones that come after that, which is three in 3D. And then uh, Carrie versus Jason, the new blood, number seven. And then the first one. And then part five, the new beginning with foe Jason. And then in the the bottom spot, the seat of despair and shame is Jason goes to Manhattan. Uh, I I can't I can't with that one, dude. Not getting a lot of Kane Hodder love in this. <laughs> and you know what's fucked up is it has nothing to do with how Kane played the part. Yeah. I love his take on Jason. He's the best thing about a couple of those. He's amazing. I have, you know, and Jason X, watching him do classic Jason and then Uber Jason. Fuck yes. Injected into my veins. It's wonderful. Kane is a legend. You cannot fuck with Kane. My ranking of those movies is based solely on how much I enjoy watching them. It actually has nothing to do with how good of movies they are, really. Even though I'm like, you know, 
part two, I think, is a one of the best slashers ever. Part four is kind of almost a pinnacle peak of slasher movies in 84. It was like it brought Savini back to do the effects. It introduced the character of Tommy Jarvis. And some of us didn't hate Corey Feldman yet. You know, <laughs> He was still kind of one of us because he was about our age. He was a peer. And then six just kind of did it a little different. He had fun with it. And it's funny because there are people who can party with part six who are like, yeah, you know, it's my favorite. And then you're like, what do you think about Jason Goes to Hell? Fuck that movie, dude. That's not Jason. And it's like, you can fuck with the formula so much. You can go so far. I'll, I'll go with that. That's six. But you pushed it too far. Jason Goes to Hell. I didn't come here to watch The Hidden. Okay? Fuck you. Yeah, I, I've always am perplexed when people who are like huge fans of the franchise, but like when it comes to Jason X or Freddy vs. Jason, they're just like appalled. I don't know, man. Those those movies are a lot more entertaining to me than most of the movies in the franchise. If we're including Freddy vs. Jason, that one might actually be tied with the other three for my number one. I think Freddy vs. Jason is fucking sick. Uh, I had, yeah, man. Did you see it in the theater? Yeah, I did. Wasn't that the fucking greatest? <laughs> I am here to tell you, bro. That's I mean, one of it's the, something that people never thought would happen, you know, for yeah. a long time. Yeah. I can I when I sat there and the new line logo came up and it began with the the ch 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 and then the dun 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 <laughs> of the, the it you heard both of the themes together and it was just this moving <laughs> massive experience in my soul. I'm sorry, I'm getting nearly religious on the whole thing right now. I'm I'm not even kidding, bro. I I'm that movie makes me so happy. It is yeah. I don't get I really don't get it when people are like, it sucks ass. And it's like, how much, I mean, do you really like love the Elm Street movies and you love you Friday? Love yeah. The beginning though. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or like Jason goes to Manhattan is great. And it's like, or Jason takes Manhattan. Excuse me. I don't want to insult it beyond what I'm already insulting it. You know, I don't want to incorrectly insult it. Yeah. Freddy versus Jason is amazing. It's one of the greatest theater experiences I have ever had in my life. I did not rank that with the others, but man, that movie, that movie's a blast. That I would. That is one I would do a lot to be able to see in the theater again. That was great. Ah, see, now you got me all pumped up thinking about Jason. <laughs> again, I don't have enough experience with the franchise as a whole to really do like a rank, a proper ranking. But uh, yeah, I do have my favorites, and they're mostly the more modern takes on Jason and Friday the 13th. And I think Kane Hodder is easily my favorite actor to portray Jason. I think he's great. And Derek Mears in the remake, which we'll get to here shortly, I think he's really good as Jason as well. Derek is just a phenomenal physical performer, so I don't think I don't think we're ever not going to get something killer from him. Mm -hmm. You know, that was really the best choice I think they could have made. If they weren't going to go with Kane, or even Ken Kersinger, who did Freddy in uh, the Freddy vs. Jason. Jason. Yeah. He's taller, and I yeah, know I that's the, why Ronnie director. Hugh, said yeah, he wanted a Frankenstein type. Yeah, uh, he wanted someone who would like really loom over Freddy. And Kane, for all his many attributes, is just not a tall man. Yeah. He's just not, you know. And I, Ronnie, you made his artistic choice. And as a director, you kind of got to go with that. And I know it made a lot of fans upset. Horror fans are very loyal, sometimes often to a fault. But I get that. No, but Kane, Kane, man, can't fuck with it. Can't fuck with it. And I, I will forgive you for being more in the later uh, <laughs> years of everything. I do want to, I want to shout out some loves. If we're, if we're just talking about, I know we're really talking about the original and the remake, but since we're doing this as our Halloween, part of our Halloween season episode, we are talking about all the other movies, you yeah. to the degree that you can, because you still have work to do, young man. 
you've got to rewatch some of these. Don't yeah, I think I'm going to. I'm definitely going to watch the second one again because, again, I think oh. I've only seen that one once, maybe. Bro, and, watch the second know, one, watch the fourth one. Concerning the second one, uh, I think what, we, what started this, I was going to ask, when she when he kills Alice at the beginning of the second one, Yes, I'm assuming that doesn't take place. It's at her house, right? Yeah. So he tracks her down and kills her in her own house. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. This is Sackhead Jason. And I don't remember his name offhand, but the guy who played him in that is really good. Um, the guy who played him in four is a, a longtime veteran stuntman, Ted White. He was on screen around that time and stuff, too. Like Starman, he's he's the hunter asshole who's got the deer tied to his car. Hmm. He's in the beginning of Romancing the Stone. Apparently, he hated and wanted to actually murder like Jason Corey Feldman while filming the movie. <laughs> Which is great. He's very good. He's not, I mean, he's probably in fourth or fifth place for me. The guy who did him in number six, I know his name. His name is CJ Pearson. He's great. I really like the Jason in that one. But it's, it's, can't fuck with Kane. Kane's got to be the number one. And then Derek yeah. Mears and then probably Ken Kersinger. Then CJ. Yeah. You know, based on the ones, again, I've seen several of them only maybe once or twice, but it seems like Kane has the most personality when it comes to portraying Jason. That's just the way it seems to me. But um, there was something he brought to it where it's the it's the heaving chest. I think he looks fucking just the most pissed you've ever seen anyone <laughs> or anything ever get. He's just the just and I, I wouldn't say angry. I wouldn't say rageful. I would say pissed. Mm. He's just pissed off. And some of the other ones are more Michael Myers about it. In terms of just this blank, featureless machine coming at you. Kane's personality, Kane brought personality of anger to it, yes, of rage to it, yes. But mainly, I think he just, Kane was like, Jason's pissed. Jason's pissed and he wants to kill. If he sees you, he's going to kill you. That's the rule. And I know some of the other ones don't necessarily have that. That definitely wasn't it in the remake. I ain't mad at it for that. But Kane's whole deal was definitely if he sees you, he's going to kill you. And I got to respect that fucking game. Yeah. A few a few more notes I had for just for this original before we switch to the remake. I hate snakes, but <laughs> fuck them for killing that snake, um, which I was curious. Like, oh, they, they really killed that fucking snake. When I yeah. watched, uh, and then I... I through some YouTube videos and stuff that I saw about the movies, it was confirmed. Yes, they killed that snake with a machete. So fuck that. <laughs> fuck them for making me watch that. But, um, yeah. you know, the the final girl is Alice. And we talked a little bit in the Halloween episode about how Laurie Strode doesn't really fit the archetype of the final girl that like in screen that they referentially in scream and a lot of people think of, which is you don't have sex, you don't do drugs. Uh, you don't. Yeah, they were refining it. But, you know, Adrian King, much like Laurie Schrode, she gets high in this movie. Yes, she's yes. drinking. There the was original this... Final Girls were able to party a little bit. It was as the movies went on that they became more virginial and prudish. Yes. But, yeah. A lot of the I was kind of disappointed in, in some ways that there were several off-screen kills in this one, which I didn't really remember. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. when you see Ned, he's got his throat slashed. When you, even the girl with the, I mean... The girl with the axe, you don't see it actually go in. Right. The girl who gets aced with the arrows, you know, um, I don't remember her name. She's likable, though. I like her. Yeah, I don't remember all of their names. I remember Ned because I wanted to punch him. <laughs> I remember Alice because she rocks and Adrian King is, is so sweetly likable. I have met her, by the way. Oh, that's cool. At, at the only con I ever went to, a weekend of horrors, 
back around 2010 or something, somewhere around there. Bruce Campbell was there. It was rad. But Adrian King is just the sweetest and so very genuine. And I I stood there while someone I went with talked to her because they had I he, I'm not going to call him a stalker because I don't think it's anything like that. But <laughs> he makes sure he goes to every con that she's around in his area because he's a big fan of hers. And over the years, because he's been doing it for years, they've kind of gotten to know each other. And when he showed up, she was like, oh, I brought you a bottle of wine because she started some fucking like Crystal Blake winery, something <laughs> up in Oregon or something. Yeah. And she, you know, like she's friendly with him uh-huh. and brought him a fucking bottle of wine. I was yeah, you could have knocked me down with a feather. I was like, she's rad. <laughs> or like some fan that over the years has become like at least a casual acquaintance that she, yeah. we walked and she goes, Eric, you know, I was like, holy shit, she knows your name. He's like, oh, she's the greatest. And then ran over there like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, and so, yes, she's wonderful. But everyone else is kind of like, mm, sorry to hijack that. The only note oh, no. I wanted to make that I didn't mention before is something that it doesn't bother me, but I think it's the movie I think the movie is cheating a little bit, cheating a little bit. It's cheating by the rules of not a slasher movie, but a whodunit, because the movie goes about things. And this was not something that Halloween did. This is something that Friday the 13th kind of pioneered, even though it didn't really do it. In in Halloween, we know that Michael Myers is the killer. We know from not just the first scene, but when he, he shows up in the town and we follow him, we see him. He's popping up in the background. We see him when the characters don't. In this one, the, the killer is unseen. We understand, at least by the point that Steve dies, that the killer is known to the victims. It is treated as a whodunit, right? Like, because you're like, ooh. It's so you're to think it's one of the cast that we've already met. At least in the way that movies are traditionally told up to that point, if you mm-hmm. tell the story that way, it's because you're going to reveal the killer, right? Yeah. And more often than not, it's supposed to be a surprise. And someone we have already at least, at least it would have been Crazy Ralph. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, that's why the fucker says it's a death curse, because he actually goes up and chops fuckers up or whatever. But it's a cheat. The movie pretends it's a whodunit and is not at all, because we do not meet her until literally like just a couple minutes before we, I mean, and even I have to imagine the first time that people saw this that didn't know anything about slashers or anything maybe they hadn't even seen halloween they watch this and like she shows up and like, who's this chick right she seems kind of off bro yeah. like maybe is she the one killing everybody <laughs> oh my god i bet she is i bet that's the killer and she is the killer but it's that's not a whodunit that's a cheat because we don't know this character it's introducing the character right when you're like oh and by the way here's the killer which is fine i'm not saying that hurts the movie i'm just saying the movie wants you to think it's a whodunit and it really isn't and that's an interesting kind of thing especially when that's something that really was picked up and carried with in a lot of horror movies all the way up through screen right that's kind of the part of the fun of it is we you know someone in this picture on the poster is the killer you know <laughs> what i mean so that's 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 kind of an interesting tactic the movie takes i think and i assume that the heavy use of point of view and stuff was a we'll say we'll be kind and say an homage to some of the halloween stuff well i mean you already noted that they openly said it was a ripoff let's just call it it's it's but i mean hey they 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 are doing their own kind of ripoff Mm -hmm. and mainly what it is is they add gore where halloween did not have gore and they add a great jump scare at the end which is ripped off from carrie Yeah, I was going to actually bring that up to the, um, the the twist ending is very cool. But uh, like you said, it's 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 sort of based on Carrie and it was not in the script. Originally, Tom Zavini came up with that and 
you know, there wasn't going to be a Jason in the original script, which is kind of interesting. And that's because it's because that's how the franchise was able to kind of live on after afterwards. But exactly. And thank God they did. And even though Tom Sabini came up with that, I know that he refused to come back for the sequels until the fourth one because he was like, there is no Jason. Jason's fucking dead, you know, and w- uh, the idea that Jason so, is now the killer is stupid. You're stupid. <laughs> so it's a stupid thing. I'm not doing. It was more of like that was a dream, I guess. Yeah, I think it was just, you know, he came up with it as a gag intended yeah. to be a scare. If he if he I mean, if that that must have been his line of thinking, I didn't know he came up with it. I'm sure when he did, it made fucking Sean Cunningham come in his pants. <laughs> the canny businessman that he is was like, oh, yeah, let's do that. That's great. That's oh, that's going to send him out. Just buzz it. And it did. It's a brilliant thing. You know, just like Carrie, because that's how Carrie sent him out. Just like, oh, my God, ditter, ditter, ditter. <laughs> and does the uh, the book have that ending for Carrie? No, 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 no. Yeah, I've never not even it, a little so bit. I was curious. Yeah, no, that's 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 all De Palma, I think. <laughs> we, and it's great. It's an absolutely fantastic thing. Stephen King loves to tell the story that he went and saw it at some uh, theater in like New York and it was an almost all black audience. And he had the best time watching it because, you know, it was so demonstrative and they were loud and involved. And at the end, it comes out and grabs her and someone behind him turned to someone. Oh, you know, she ain't never going to be right. <laughs> and that was excellent. That that was a brilliant thing to do. And that's a brilliant thing to do in this movie, I think. It doesn't have to make sense. It's just, you know, and and that's another thing about the movie. It It lingers. There are moments where you can really tell that Sean Cunningham is like, Normally in making a movie, you would want to enter your scene as late as possible and leave as early as possible. (laughs) That's what film storytelling is. We're doing the opposite here. We've got to get this fucker up to a mean 90 minutes. (laughs) So some of these scenes are going to start and go on for about 6 to 15 seconds, if not more, before uh, it really gets in. Like the painfully awkward sex scene between Kevin Bacon and his girlfriend. I forget her name, but... I don't remember her name. And yes... (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's, that's that's an example of it. You know, it's just you you can tell here and there everywhere. You're like, why? I mean, why isn't he cut away? And you're like, oh yeah, that's why. And he needs that every fucking second he can. Because <laughs> you could make a lean, mean version of this that goes at sixty minutes, and it, you wouldn't miss anything really important. You really wouldn't. But that's okay. And again, they're figuring it out. You know, this is one of this is one of the ones that started it all. They're all just kind of. They're making it up as they go along to a degree. Certain ones before them have kind of shown them kind of a roadmap, but maybe part of the map is ripped. Or it's dark and their flashlight is going in and out. You know, they can't see everything clearly. So they make it up as they go along. And by the time Scream comes out, it's a well-oiled machine, <laughs> you know, and that's cool. Well, I guess uh, the only other thing I had for the original, which is a behind the scenes or like a, an aftermath type of thing, which is... Weird and uh, terrifying. Adrian King apparently was stalked in the early 80s after this movie was a big success. Uh, to a point that, like, the guy uh, infiltrated her friend group and became, like, a friend of hers. And, uh, yeah, it got really bad. But he eventually went to jail. So she, she was fine. She didn't, like, get hurt badly or anything. But it kind of scared her away from uh, celebrity Acting? status. Well, sure. Yeah. Which is totally understandable. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was something I did not know about until pretty much today. Although I guess I knew about it in the past because I'd seen that Crystal Lake Memories six hour, you know, epic behind the scenes thing. That thing is ago. glorious. Yeah. And I think she told that story on there, but uh, but I kind of mm. forgot about it. But I really need to rewatch that. But yeah, that's all I got for the first Friday the 13th. Anything else you want to add before we move to the 
a remake? No, it's just, I think it's, it's good. I don't think it's great. I think it's important. I think it definitely is important in the evolution of not just horror that I love, but the subgenre of, sla- of slasher that I love. It's it's hugely influential. It cannot be discounted without it. There's so much good stuff that we don't have. But I think the sequel is where it really takes off for me. But I do like the original, even though I have it kind of far down on my list in terms of my rankings, which I think I don't think I'm alone in. I think there's a lot of hardcore purists that are probably mad about that. But I think there's at least just as many other fans that are like, you know what? No, you know, it deserves to be down there. It's good. It's fine. But there are other better movies in the series than the first one, obviously. But I do like it. And I, it was nice to revisit it. Yeah, I, I liked it more than I thought I would when I because I had not, you know, I've only seen it a few times. It, it's probably been over a decade since I'd watched this one. So I was pleasantly surprised at how much I, I like revisiting it. It's it's a good slasher and it's got some really cool stuff in it. And I think it's probably better than several of the sequels, but it's definitely not the best in the franchise. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I did like it, though, and, and excited to talk about how what they do and don't take for for the for the remake (laughs) (laughs) so moving on to friday the 13th 2009 the uh remake of friday the 13th released on february 13th 2009 directed by marcus nispel written by damian shannon mark swift and mark wheaton uh, runtime is about 97 minutes, made for a budget of $19 million. Box office take of about $92.7 million. So fairly big hit. Still have not seen another Friday the 13th since this came out 13 years ago now. Um, a travesty. Which is all because of legal rights issues and stuff uh, more than anything. But I guess this was the first Friday the 13th since Freddy vs. Jason in, what was that, 04? Mm-hmm. And before that was Jason X in 2002. So, and that sat on the shelf, I think, for a few years. I think they actually filmed that in like 99. That sounds right. So, only a couple of uh, Friday the 13th movies in the last decade when they made, when they released this uh, reboot that was trying to restart the franchise, but didn't really happen, unfortunately. <laughs> um, no. Do a little recap of the plot kind of on the fly here. So, we open much like the original years ago camp counselors being chased through the woods by an older lady it's mrs Voorhees. she kind of reveals that her son did she say he was drowned i think so yeah yeah and the counselor fights her off cuts her head off much like in the original then we jump ahead several years to uh, some i guess college age kids that yeah. are near the campsite trying to Find some weed. That's a Nispel staple, I guess. Uh, <laughs> young kids trying to sell some, uh, to, to gather some weed to sell. Jason attacks and kills all of these kids in horrific fashion. Jump ahead again six months later. And one of the kids who was attacked in that six months prior, her brother's looking for. Her. I think it's six weeks. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Six weeks later, I guess, her brother's looking for her. He uh, has a run-in with, with a group, a douchebag, and his friends that are near uh, Crystal Lake at his parents' house party for the weekend. Over to you. Yeah, in short work, Jason shows up to the cabin by the lake because in this one, it seems more like he's, like, defending territory and stuff than he is just, like, 
looking for kids to kill like his mom wanted him to. But yeah, he makes short work of them one by one until it ends up being the kid looking for his sister and his sister who he finds. They fight Jason. They, you know, it looks as if they've defeated him and dispatched him and they go out to the dock on the lake and at the end, ah, Jason pops up and it's not over. It's never over. And uh, that's about it. I mean, it's, you know, this is like a mishmash in a way of multiple Friday the 13th. It's like a great remix <laughs> or a, a, a mashup and a remix, I would say. Yeah. And they made a thing in the marketing. They made a big deal of this. 13 is, kills. Yeah. This is the 13th. This is the 12th or 13th. Yeah. I think it's the 13th if you include Freddy versus Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the 13th movie and there are 13 kills which is you know pretty genius marketing <laughs> it's pretty cool and that's that's more kills than most of the private 13th flicks get it is it is i can't really argue with the uh, the kills in this one yeah what do you I, think sorry what do you think about the opening of just using the the uh, mrs Voorhees stuff in the first like couple minutes I think that's set up the origin. I think it's super effective. And especially for fans who watch it, they go, oh, that's what they're doing. And then it goes into it. And I think it's also really effective. I mean, it has to make it clear enough what's going on for anyone who somehow didn't see any of the other Friday the 13th. You know, maybe they were younger or a teenager or something. I think it's really effective. And then it jumps right into that whole opening sequence because the flashback in 80, that's like the, the credits. And then the opening scene with the kids looking for the mythical field of weed, which they do find. It's not mythical at all. It's just Jason seems to be either guarding it or growing it himself. I think it's it's yeah, sure. kind, of, kind of weird, but Maybe okay. It's a natural weed garden. Sure. But Jason don't like it when you fuck around near it. That's that's very clear. And then after that sequence, that awesome shot of mirrors as Jason running up and and then it yeah. cuts to the title. And that's like 20 something movies in, uh, minutes into the movie. That's awesome. I really like that whole beginning right up until the I like the whole movie. But I think the the opening sequence all the way up to the title is is very good. It's a great way to start it. And I think to your point, I, I'm probably overshooting as I do. But that opening bit where it kind of just Jason was a little boy who wasn't being paid attention to. He drowned. But oh, no, he didn't really drown. He's out there watching and he sees his mama get beheaded. And probably not long after that, he finds his trusty sack. It's cool. I dig it. What do you think? I do like it. I think it brings up some questions. Like, if Jason was still alive, why didn't his mom know that? <laughs> and what was he doing? Was it supposed to? I mean, I guess it could have just been like, well, that happened like the day before. And so Jason had gotten back out into the woods and was trying to find his way home. And they all thought he had drowned, maybe something like that. That's not explained, but it just seems weird. <laughs> it is weird. And I think it, as much as I think it does kind of set the scene well enough for anyone who might not have a lot of familiarity with the other movies, I think it's all just there like shorthand, like boom, hitting beats. And those of us go, uh, those of us who have seen the other movies just go, oh, 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 okay. That's what we're doing. And now we're caught up. Yeah. And it, you know, they could have just done the thing kind of like in Jason Goes to Hell, where it just opens on Jason chasing a woman through Crystal Lake and no real reference. Like, you don't even have to necessarily have the reference of Mrs. Voorhees and stuff. But it's cool that they included it in this version. Mm-hmm. Um, Makes it an official reboot. Yeah. And I'm probably in danger of being the guy who's, like, trying to write his own movie. But, <laughs> um, I would have, I think, preferred... As much for pacing, I think, as anything else, if the first, like, 20-minute opening sequence, which I think is great, if they had just used that 20 to 25 minutes to retell 
the first movie and ended that sequence with with uh, Mrs. Voorhees dying and then moving ahead to Jason uh, later. Obviously, it would have been a completely different scenario because he's, you know, Mrs. Voorhees isn't going to tie some lady up in a, in a sleeping bag over a fire and all that stuff. But true. Well, I mean, I that's the like question. Do you more of the Mrs. Voorhees stuff like in the in the opening? That's fair. I think it plays the way it does more for people like me who, like I said, the first one is good, but almost a novelty in the way that it's 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 a slasher and Jason isn't the slasher, and that's fine. What we all think of as Friday the 13th is Jason. Um, I mean, to the point that, that that's why they used it as the trick question in the beginning of Scream. So they felt they felt confident that they could just really, really sum up yeah. the whole thing in just two or three minutes and then oh boom she got her head cut off again um <laughs> yeah i think it i think it works fine I, I don't dislike it necessarily i just i've always for some whatever reason i've always thought it would have been interesting to see an opening sequence a longer extended sequence where you don't see the killer and then it's his mom and then they move on to you know jason carnage afterwards but it still works really well yeah i don't have i don't i'm not really complaining about it i just no, I mean, that's fine, but it does make me wonder, and so I will ask you, would you then just make the movie about 20 minutes longer overall, and after the Mrs. Voorhees stuff, just go on with the movie as as it is, with that sequence with the kids that end with, because that whole thing is just to kind of give us, I think, before the, the, title, sequ- the, the title card, mm-hmm. it's just there to give us a more modern day slasher sequence. And that ends with what we later find out is him taking Whitney. You know what I mean? So, like, do you still think that Whitney should be, I mean, should the rest of the story be the way it is, where Whitney is, was taken hostage or or taken by Jason? Well, to be honest, I've always thought that was really silly. (laughs) I never really liked that element of him, like, holding her captive uh, in the tunnels and whatnot. Again, it's not something that, because like I said, this is one of my favorite Friday the 30th movies. I like this one a lot. But, yeah, that element of the story is always seemed a little weird to me so you think you would have been happier with i mean well whatever they do with the tunnels whatever but that she would have been one of jason's victims and the brother is just looking for someone who ends up being dead which is from part four that's what they're referencing is oh that's cool yeah in part four there's a guy wandering around looking for jason because well looking for his sister who was killed in part two He's looking for one of the characters from part two who is dead and he doesn't know that. But that's that's what they're taking inspiration from. Again, it's a, it's a mash and mix of, you know, multiple elements from previous movies. Yeah, I don't I don't think I've ever realized that that was sort of a, a reference to one of the earlier movies. Just because but the difference is she's alive. Maybe yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah, which is fine. I mean, it's not fine. You need to see it. Christopher. <laughs> But yeah, I don't have a strong like, you know, to, to, to have that opening sequence that I was describing, you would almost have to kind of rewrite a lot of what happens later. So, well, I mean, if you keep it, you put the movie closer to two hours, which you can right. definitely that's never, do. That's never good. I don't think it's not great for a slasher movie, but I mean, you can do it. Um, you know, there's there's the quote unquote killer cut of this one that has it's about eight minutes of additional footage, I think mostly gorier stuff you know extended kills and stuff Mm. which i realized when i put my blu-ray in it automatically played the killer cut (laughs) (laughs) uh because i was watching like man i don't remember you know for instance the ankle the bear trap ankle thing there were a lot more shots of that gory ankle damage uh in the killer cut (laughs) so 
I think that's what I must have seen because I was I remember being really surprised this afternoon. I say I remember like it was fucking 10 years ago. But I mean, I'm sitting there watching it and I'm surprised that Chewie's death seemed pretty protracted. The eyes pick in the throat. Yeah, yeah, that that one's pretty gnarly. I I don't know because what happened was I realized during the opening sequence that I was watching the killer cut. And so I was like, well, I would rather just watch the theatrical cut because, you know, because we're going to be doing the podcast about it. So <laughs> after that opening sequence, I went back and restarted. And uh, from from that point on, I watched the theatrical cut. And it has the the really grotesque, <laughs> chewy death, but it may be longer in the killer cut. I'm not sure. It might be. It just it seemed like there was a lot of gurgling going on. Yeah. So <laughs> that one is about an hour and 45 minutes. Whereas, oh, well, then, no, that's not the one I watched. Okay, yeah, 97 minutes was the theatrical cut. Yeah, that's the one I saw. Because I have the uh, the Blu-ray set from the old tin box. Okay. I don't have the Scream Factory one. Mine is put out by Paramount. But yeah, the, the, the opening sequence is very cool, and it's got some of the best, or at least, I'm going to say Amanda gets it the worst. Yeah, that's pretty uh, fucking being brutal. Being cooked alive in the, in, the, in the sleeping bag. I've always thought that was just horrific and just sounds terrible uh, or looks terrible. Yeah. And I really like seeing Baghead Jason. That was a cool, because like you said, it's kind of a greatest hits thing. And they're kind of progressing Jason throughout the first half hour of the movie to the Jason everybody knows and loves. So by, mm-hmm. so by like 30 to 40 minutes in, he you've seen him as a little kid, you've seen him as Baghead Jason, you know, and then he's got the, the hockey mask and the machete. I did note also that Wade, the know-it-all dipshit, the Kirk Cameron looking motherfucker. Yeah. I can't look at him and not think of Mike from Growing Pains. Okay. I Am get I that. Wrong on this? No, 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 you're not. It's just I I recognize him from Live Free or Die Hard. That's what I always think of when I see him. Okay. Is he he's the tech guy, right? Yeah, he's the one computer hacker guy that does not get aced. Right. Yeah, I, I never would have pegged him from that if you hadn't mentioned it. I do remember him now, but yeah. I'm sure those are the only two things I've seen him in is this and, and the Life Rear Die Hard. He's pretty fucking annoying in both of them. I do enjoy his, his know-it-all bullshit whenever the guy's like, you know, every bottle of water you see in the grocery store is crystal something and instantly it's Aquafina. Um. <laughs> you know, everybody knows somebody like that. <laughs> exactly. They also like to tell you that Avion is naive spelled well backwards. Oh, well. yeah. Um, I really like Ben Feldman's death in that Richie. Is one that, that the machete? Yeah. yeah. The one we mostly know now from Superstore. Yeah. yeah that I mean, that thing one. goes down to his nose. <laughs> yes, it does. And then it gets kicked off. Like he kicks it out of his face, which is cool. I do have a question. Would you explore the camp if you were in that position? No. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I would either. I would be like, fuck this. I mean, if it were, if it were daytime. Maybe. Yeah, uh, like it's closer. <laughs> it's closer to a maybe, but at nighttime, I see that and I go, you know what? We need to turn around and go back the way we came. Yeah, and maybe just keep going because I mean, I know this <laughs> looks pretty run down, but this kind of shit is where people you end up finding people you don't want to find. So let's just yeah. go. That's where you find the wilderness people that yes. <laughs> never lived, which I yeah. guess is kind of what Jason is. <laughs> but it's not Jason. It's one of those wrong turn assholes, and they're right, yeah, about like, as fucking friendly as Jason is. Exactly. The, the, the feral people. That's the term I was Yes. Thinking. They're not social. Not the, way we, <laughs> not the way we want them to be. Yeah, no. I would turn around, and I would, I would remove myself from the premises. But yeah, the, what do you think about the jason underground tunnel thing which they sort of the filmmakers sort of admit they wrote that into the story 
as like an explanation of how in the old movies, it seems like sometimes Jason can fucking teleport. Uh, yeah. It makes sense how he gets from point A to point B sometimes. Um, and I like it for that reason where it's just like, oh, it's kind of playing off how he would just pop up yeah. like out of nowhere. And it's because he's got shit, you know, all around that area. I liked it. You know, it, is it necessary? No. The movie <laughs> itself is not necessary. But they did it because they could. And I feel that way about the tunnels. It's like they came up with that and they're like, you know what? Let's do something a little different. They do just enough different to kind of set it apart. Also fast, Jason, you know, which is very different. But they keep enough the same that it warms my little Friday the 13th slasher love and movie heart. So, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't. If it was not in the movie, you're not going to hear me going, you know, they, they should have put that back in. You know, like if they did it and they're like, you know, what, we fucked up. We're taking it out and we hear about it. And I'm like, no, I want those tunnels in the movie. That sounds fucking awesome. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But since they are in the movie that we have, I accept them. I don't think it ruins anything. I <sighs> I don't think, again, it, this is all a purely academic conversation because, you know, we're discussing what is and isn't necessary. I don't think the whole sister thing is necessary. But yeah. because that is what they chose to do, they're like, what if we did like dude from part four, except she's actually alive. And maybe Jason took her because she reminds him of his mother. And they have, there's been plenty of that in the other Friday the 13th movies. Again, these, these are things you're going to need to familiarize yourself with, Christopher, <laughs> when you get to watching part two. But that's a big part of part two. The final girl in that, Ginny, does a whole Mrs. Voorhees thing. So, I mean, they're playing off of that. You know, most of the things in the movie, aside from the tunnels, have their origins in one of the earlier movies. So, yeah, it's fine, I guess. You know, do I need it? No, but it's it's fine. It's fine. I, I know you don't care for it. Well, but it's, I, what I don't really care for is the is the sister stuff and, and him holding her captive and stuff. The tunnels, I think, is a, I've always thought is a cool idea. So you'd just rather her be dead. It comes back to fuck Whitney, kill that chick. I get it. I get it. Okay. I mean, I don't think Amanda Rigetti is, you know, guilty of anything that would, you know, incur such wrath from you. I mean, it's, but... nothing, get, it's nothing personal. Let's not get personal. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I just always thought that was a weird thing for Jason Voorhees to do. Like, he's just, I've always just seen him as a killing machine. I've kind of come around a little bit on that and, and definitely on the tunnels because I'm a lot more adaptable i think and how i view stuff like this now because of like i think we talked about in halloween and, and maybe even in texas chainsaw pods i just sort of see this all as multiverse stuff now so this is just a little bit of a different version of jason yeah you know the, the filmmakers also talked on the like the special features and stuff how they they were trying to make a quote-unquote smart jason you know he he's got archery skills he's got these tunnels that he's operating in and you know he uses one of the characters as bait later in the movie yes uh, and that's a cool it's not the jason that i think of normally you know mm -hmm. when i think of jason Voorhees, but it's a interesting angle and i think it's worth exploring in a, in this reboot movie and i think they do it well you know again i don't think i i mean i appreciate what they're saying and i understand what they're saying i would not go so far as to call him like a smart jason um <laughs> but he's definitely he's more of a planner he's calculating you know i mean that's that's so he's definitely smarter in terms of what we see him doing uh, than the other Jasons. And and it is interesting. And Mears plays him very well. Mears is a great, great physical actor. I think he's one of the best we have right now who does these kind of things, you know, and, and there's less and less of them that we know of anyway. 
Uh, I'm sure there's lots of faceless stuntmen out there who wish that we knew their name that are doing great work. But Derek Mears is, is one of my favorite, And he's just such a, he seems like like a real sweetheart, actually. I hope he never hears me say that because maybe he'll be like, what'd you say about me? I don't know. Um, I, I think I'm probably pretty safe. But yeah, I, I, I think it's an interesting thing that they did. And like you said, I really love your notion that it's so simple to see these just as a multiverse situation. I mean, that's more or less how I saw always saw them anyway. I just didn't think about it in that kind of thing. Like it's a, a multiverse. I just kind of thought of it. This is just another take. And yeah, that means it's just an alternate universe take on Jason. The multiverse. And there's room for all of them, I think. I think really the only problem is when you do a bad and then it just becomes very subjective. Some people think this movie sucks and I don't get it. Uh, yeah, I, I can see thinking this movie sucks. I mean, I, I would I would disagree, obviously, but like if somebody says, yeah, that movie kind of sucks. And then I'm like, oh, really? Do you like the other Friday the 13th? And I'm like, oh, I love part three. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what? So, what you, so you think three is really good, but you think this one sucks? I don't. OK, I guess. All right. Yeah. I mean, I really think it just comes down to what you want out of your slasher movies. And a lot of people who have really strong feelings on slasher movies, Friday the 13th is part of what shaped those really strong feelings. And they, you know, like I said earlier, they're loyal often to a fault. And you deviate too much from these things that made them the person who they are. And they get really, really crazy, really, really quick. Yeah, I used to work with a guy, and I liked it. I wouldn't know. He's not like a close friend, but he's a friend, I guess. And, uh, you know, he, he claimed to be a big horror fan. Oh, he, he is a big horror fan. I shouldn't be. <laughs> I shouldn't <laughs> talk shit about him. But he, he's a big horror fan. But I would always see him talking shit about, like, Drag Me to Hell or just a lot of modern horror movies he would talk shit about, like, on social media and stuff. And then I realized eventually, like, oh, he only likes 80s slasher movies. Those are the only horror movies he likes. <laughs> and yeah, he hates everything else that's come out in the last 25 years so yeah maybe he's running that uh twitter account all new sucks <laughs> that sure. fucking guy I'm oh my sure God. I blocked him like three years ago but i yeah he pops up every once in a while i need to just block him he's one of those ones that'll follow you and then you know it's like a zombie with a shotgun anyway we're not here to to <laughs> to drag down twitter accounts to annoy you but there are fans like that out there you know that they only like that specific thing and this is not that specific thing you know i'm not going to be that asshole like this is not your daddy's fucking friday the 13th but it's really not it it's it is a mashup of all this stuff and you uh, you can either hang out and go down that road with it or you say fuck you and get out of the car and walk back the other direction where you know the ones that make you happy are and that's fine too that's the great thing about the uh the the multiverse take is that if you're a person who's like i don't like friday the 13th 2009 because it doesn't do Blah, 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 blah. Well, thankfully, there's like at least six more that do exactly yeah. that thing you're asking about. There's a couple that don't do that, but there's like five or six that do this thing you want. Go watch those. They didn't get taken away. Enjoy. Yeah. I guess we can move up to the more modern timeline. You know what? Actually, uh, Marcus Nispel directed this one. He also did the Texas Chainsaw remake. We, uh, we talked about him quite a bit on that one. He hasn't done a whole lot. You know, this Pathfinder, a few other things. But um, how do you think this one compares to Texas Chainsaw? Because they don't seem very, as far as the style and stuff, they're they're fairly different. They look kind of similar in the sense that it's like glossy grit. Yeah. You know what I mean? I saw someone say something like they didn't like this because it looked like even the dirt on their face like had a sheen to it. And I, and I can't 100% argue that because I get what they mean. I don't really agree with it. I think it works. And it's the same cinematographer. Daniel Pearl. I, gosh, 
I couldn't tell you really which one I think is better. I It's hard. Yeah. I think they both have very similar strengths and similar weaknesses. And I think the, the strengths outweigh the weaknesses for me. Like I said, I would probably put this in my number in my number five spot for all of them, all of the uh, the franchise. I mean, yeah. And I don't know that I would put the the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That like, no, I think I would. Yeah, I think I I actually you know I've never considered this before, and I probably should have because it's the same fucking director for the same production company doing the same exact kind of thing. You know, we're gonna have you remake another horror classic. I guess I guess they're very similar in terms of quality to me. They they both provide the same sort of experience I want out of the respective franchises, I guess. Yeah, I guess I'll go with that. They're the same. <laughs> they're different, yeah, but they're the, totally the same. The thing that really differentiates them as far as like the style and everything is simply to me is kind of the setting, which is Texas seventies, dirty, everything's dirty and grimy and stuff. Whereas this is set in modern day and stuff. It's not as and the woods. And I think the woods are a little bit more foreboding. You know what I mean? It's it's I think it's a better setting. I really do like that it's all set, you know, the way the way it is, that they kept it, you know, they didn't try to get cute and go into town or anything. It's very much the classic. There's a lake here, there's a lot of forest, there's cabins, and shit goes down. You know? I do wonder if some people who don't like this one as much are annoyed that, you know, a lot of it takes place in this nice house. There's not as much stuff on the campground, whatever. Doesn't bother me. <laughs> I wonder if that might be uh, a complaint. As far as uh, Nispel and the Texas remake and this one, I definitely enjoy the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake more than this one, although I like them both. What about the cast? You know, we can talk about the opening segment characters if you want. We already mentioned them a little bit, but... Uh, I think we talked about them enough. They're fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more- I know I have no problem with any of them. I agree that Wade is annoying, but again, this is not to bitch about Jonathan Sadowski, I think his name is. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he's you know, nice. <laughs> he, he, Well, maybe he's an asshole, but he, as an actor, he's doing what they're asking him to do, the same way he didn't live for your die hard. He's supposed to be a fucking smart-ass little tech bro a hacker bitch and in this he's just you know the know-it-all guy i mean he they're all in the first part and in the the main meat of the movie they're all playing the archetypes and they're doing really well at what they're being asked to do i know some people don't like this because they're like oh i don't like the kids and it's like how the fuck are they different they could not be more alike the other kids they're literally playing off of that you know the way that chewy is kind of like um I don't remember his name, but the kid from part four who tells Crispin Glover he's a dead fuck, played by Lawrence Monison, who was in The Last American Virgin and broke all our hearts in the last moment. Um, um, See, I find most of the kids to be, well, I mean, at least a few of the kids. Danielle Panabaker. She's always likable. Yeah, and Arian Escarpeta. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Oh, Arlen Escarpeta. Yeah, yeah, him and Aaron Yu, they're both likable, I think. It's really just... Trent. uh, yeah, it's really we can, just... We can go ahead and talk about Trent, shall we? Okay. What I want to say about Trent is he is one of the most immediately hateful characters of this type in any slasher movie of any era. And I give them credit for that because he, I really wanted to see this fucker die. And he's, <laughs> he's got a, a good picture, death. Picture perfect douchebag. Like, yes. you can't do any better. And his name is Trent. <laughs> yeah, the only... I mean, if his name was Chet, that might be the only name that would be brad (laughs) you know and and i i don't 
you know, I'm sorry, dude, but, and I'm sure he would probably, if he's, he might agree. His actual name is Douche Central, Travis Van Winkle. Yeah. That sounds like he, that sounds like the name of a character <laughs> in one of these movies. And it would be a guy just like that, you know? So it's kind of perfect. But I mean, yeah, I, he's so hateable. He's so hateable. You just, you just want him dead. And then he says shit like, your tits are stupendous, dude. Oh my God. That, I'm sorry, but the sex scene with him and Juliana Gill, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a, it, in a horror movie anyway. It really is, because there's no way they don't know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. it's And it's yeah, like, this fucking guy is finding every possible way he can <laughs> to compliment this girl's breasts in the most bro-y, douchebaggery fucking manner possible. Talking about nipple placement, bro. My dude. Yeah. Like, take several seats. I mean, just shut up and enjoy the ride because, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, he, he's he's just that much of a douche. He's, he's got to verbalize it. And it's really funny because she's, you know, kind of like, you know, would you shut up? <laughs> yeah, I get uh, it. Kind of interesting. Juliana Gill, speaking of her, and Amanda Rigetti both would go on to small roles in the Captain America franchise. <laughs> Ah. Rigetti was the nurse who wakes him up at the end of the first Captain America. Oh. And Juliana Gill has like one or two lines in Civil War. I think in the scene where Tony Stark is at the uh, college. Oh, yeah. I forget. She's some kind of an assistant or something. She has like one or two lines. But so that's, I just thought that was an interesting. Like, uh, continue. I just wanted to bring up Captain America. OK, I'm sorry. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. So, um. Another douchebag would, uh, I guess, be Ryan Hansen's Nolan. Yeah. And I'm a fan of Ryan Hansen. He's really funny on, like, Party Down. And Very. I like him on Rock Mars. Rock Mars. That's mostly what people know him from. Yeah. And he's he's great on both of those. Yeah, and he's he's not nearly the douchebag that, that uh, <laughs> Trent is in this one. He's uh, a very garden variety douchebag. Yeah, surfer mm. dude type. Yeah. Willa Ford, former... Lady friend of Chuck Liddell, which is what I know her best as. I remember uh, her being like in Maxim or something back in the early 2000s. Well, she had an album, maybe more than one, but I remember her I Want to Be Bad music video from uh, my early 20s. It made an impression, I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, I've never seen that that I'm aware of. I knew uh, she, she was, was like trying for a pop stardom kind of thing. Yeah, she was kind of like if Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera were the A-level Mandy Moore was like the B level and then like like D or F level would be what <laughs> I guess. And uh, vitamin C is up there on the C level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, again, Daniel Panabaker, very likable. I like her in pretty much everything. Jared Padalecki, I'm pretty sure I had not seen Supernatural yet, but I think it had already started at this point. It had. It had been going for four or five years at this point. Okay. And I'm losing, I've lost his name now. The, Jensen the Ackles. Yeah, he was in the... Uh, the My Bloody Valentine. My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. Sorry to, to to preemptively speak for you there, but that is something I was going to bring up, and I'm going to bring it up now. I saw those movies, these movies, the My Bloody Valentine remake and the Friday the 13th remake. I saw them on consecutive nights. Oh wow! One of them for a Valentine's Day date, um, and the next and the and the other one just to go see it. And let me tell you, as a, I was a huge fan of Supernatural at that time. I mean, not that I'm not a fan now, but I mean, you know, it was. New. It was only a few years into it, and suddenly, boom! I'm going to see iconic horror movies being remade on consecutive nights, and one has Sam, and one has Dean Winchester. What the mm -hmm. fuck is going on? And part of my brain was like, "Oh, I guess this is just how it is now." 
No, nothing like that ever happened again with those two. <laughs> Not that they didn't make other stuff, but these are, are I think, the two biggest movies that either of them ever did. It's got to be, yeah. Yeah, and I just kind of assumed there would be more, and I'm pissed looking back <laughs> on it that there's not, because I think they're both pretty great. Yeah, I think Padalecki now is doing Walker, which he is. I've not seen any of, but... um. Ackles is on The Boys as Soldier Boy, which I have not seen his season yet, but I everyone is very excited about it. And, you know, there's a My Bloody Valentine connection sort of with the Friday the 13th franchise because of Todd Farmer. Oh, yeah. Jason X and My Bloody Valentine. Yes. And I don't know if I've told you this or not. He's kind of a local boy. He's from the same county I grew up in. Really? And, uh, I mean, I've, I've never met him, obviously. He's probably 20 years older than me. Uh, or close to it, but um, but yeah, I found that out maybe ten years ago. A buddy of mine that worked in it for an insurance place told me, "Hey, there's a guy that comes in from time to time who was you know from the area, and he had friends that worked with my buddy, and they would talk about the guy who wrote the horror movies." And uh, yeah, he wrote. They said he wrote Jason X, and I was like, "Holy shit, what?" <laughs> and around that time is when he wrote that um. The, the article about, you know, his experience being homeless for a while in L.A. and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, he seems like a really cool dude. Yeah. He he is. I mean, what I know of him, I mean, I won't lie to a degree. This is kind of a brag. Uh, <laughs> we are mutuals on Twitter. He seems always unfailingly honest about his experiences, but is a, a positive guy. And I, I like his writing. I like what he has done. I like that the the slasher movie he and that his his partner uh, in crime in the in the horror genre Patrick uh, Lussier or Lucier I'm not sure how you say his name I apologize uh, Wes Craven's former editor who started directing and did My Bloody Valentine and has done that new one uh, or newer last few years Trick yeah that Todd wrote and I like that one I think that's yeah, a cool too. modern I, I slasher putting it on my list of, of uh, Halloween recommendations. I didn't end up putting it on there, but it is, it's cool. I've seen it a couple times and uh, it's, it's a cool Halloween flick and it's, uh, it's a slasher set around Halloween. There's a lot of Halloween stuff in it. So it mm-hmm. definitely uh, is yeah. worth checking out around this time for sure. And it has some balls in terms of storytelling. It goes some places that I did not see coming. I dig it. And I think it's on, it's been on Hulu in the past. I, I think it still is. So cool. yeah, definitely would recommend checking that out for sure. But yeah, we, another, another uh, rabbit trail we, we ran down. <laughs> That's just how uh, we do. You know, Jenna, uh, Daniel Panabaker's character, it's almost like she's never met her boyfriend. It's <laughs> for real. Yeah, because like she's kind of su- seems surprised when he's an asshole to Clay, uh, Pat Lucky's character, uh, and then she like invites him in, and it's like this isn't going to go well. What do you what? Uh, and then she seems surprised that Trent immediately kicks his ass out. And I'm also like, what is Trent thinking? He's not like a small guy, but Pat Lucky's like six five and he's, like, yeah, pretty you know, built, he would rip your head off. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of it. But I think that's the, you know, that whole entitled bully jock, you know, I rule every situation I come across. <laughs> I'm always the alpha male. And they're always surprised when they get the shit kicked out of them because they just don't ever see it coming. They just don't think that's possible in their world. Yeah. And that would have been nice to see him punch him at least one time. <laughs> the, uh, the scene where Jason gets his hockey mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kills the uh, the cartoonish redneck. Yeah, I'm not sure what his job is supposed to be, but um, there is an alternate sequence of that on the Blu-ray that's kind of going. I would prefer the uh, the sequence that was cut in the final version. He just slices the guy's throat and then finds the hockey mask in a pile. But the deleted scene or the alternate scene, the redneck guy is actually wearing the hockey mask. And he's like smoking weed through it and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> 
Jason comes down the steps, like holding some kerosene, and the guy's like, "You're the one that's been stealing the kerosene." And then Jason pulls out his machete, and uh, he actually uh, cuts the guy's head off, and then takes the mask off his decapitated head and puts it on. I have to admit that sounds cooler. Yeah, it, 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 I think it works better. And plus, it shows that it's kind of alluded to in the final cut that Jason's stealing their kerosene, but it like makes it obvious in that deleted scene that that's how Jason is powering the lights and stuff at his camp and keeping things going there in the tunnels and stuff, I guess. A cool little detail. I did like the archery callback when he shoots the arrow through Ryan Hansen's face. Yeah. And when he hits no one with the uh, arrow, which at the time, you know, I thought, well, that seems weird that Jason uses a bow and arrow, but again, I've kind of mellowed on my rigid stance on what the slasher character is doing. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that it's a kind of a, it seems kind of like a callback to the original where there's some archery stuff and some. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's what it was. I always assumed it was. Plus it was just, it was just a cool moment. Oh fuck, it went through his face. <laughs> the the scene where Bree, uh, you know, Jason kills Bree and then kind of leaves the body there. And then Trent ends up like shooting her through the door. And I'm curious if the and there's no commentary track on the Blu-ray because I was going to check and see if they said anything about it. I'm curious if the original intention was for Trent to accidentally shoot through the door and kill her. And because he says, you know, when he's running away, he killed Bree. And I, I wonder if like the if uh, if that was the plan originally, but then they decided to have Jason kill her himself up. Just oh, I think it's definitely possible that that was the original plan. But I think it's also possible that doing it the way they did is just another quick beat of, God, what an asshole. Because he <laughs> thinks he killed her. Yeah, and that's whether he like, actually he did or not. Yeah, whether, they, whether he actually did or not. And we know that he didn't because Jason, you know, fucking planted her on that door. He thinks he killed her. And his immediate instinct is to cover his own ass. You know, so I, I think that's just a great little fucker you know <laughs> moment you know of course that's what that asshole will do because of course that's what that asshole would do uh, i was i remember the first time i watched this i was legitimately shocked when <laughs> uh, jenna bought it yeah <laughs> that was a, a nice surprise even though you know by that time they had already found the sister so i guess there's not really a final girl that doesn't really apply it doesn't seem like to, to the no yeah i don't think it's doing that and plus there are two survivors well i mean i guess we don't really know because of how the, it ends, but yes, I think them yeah. killing her is, is meant to be that kind of what the fuck like shocking <laughs> moment because it really is setting her up to do what they very easily could have done is just have her be that final girl. Yeah. She's mm. definitely the nice, the nicest of the, of the exactly. And I think that's a really good moment of subverting our expectations because we are primed to just kind of assume that's, that's, I don't think it's ever anything we question at least from that last I don't know, the last 40 minutes of it. Our, I think our brains just kind of subconsciously place her in that character box. Like, and there's Jenna. And our brain is like, that's the final girl. She's not. It's a great <laughs> moment. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah, that's hardcore. I really appreciate that the killer. And I, and, it, and I don't like it because I like Daniel Panabaker. And I'm glad they did it because it hurt a little bit, you know. And most of this stuff is very, you know, fucking kill them all for me. <laughs> I'm here to see some blood. Let's see some blood. And the movie did supply me with that. But also I was like, oh, I didn't want to see her go. You assholes. I now, appreciate it. I'm, I'm not sure because I didn't check. But so correct me if I'm wrong. But Daniel Panabaker also died kind of a surprising death in another remake. Right. In the crazies. crazies. Yeah. I don't think she that was, was as surprising. Movie, right? Yeah. And I 
it is the moment like no not and then she's dead <laughs> because again she's fucking likable daniel panabaker's very good at doing that and yeah i love the crazies too actually that's one of my of the era favorite slasher movies they did uh, i'm sorry one of my favorite remakes they did even though i wouldn't call it a slasher because they were they, it was, there was a fire sale at that particular right. point in time and they were yeah. remaking everything <laughs> just everything that kirby lists off in scream for so yeah R.I.P. Daniel Panabaker's characters. She was also the daughter in Mr. Brooks, right? Uh-huh. This is another digression, but yeah, I, I really like Mr. Brooks. And I fucking love Mr. Brooks. <laughs> but yeah, I love, the only thing I've really got left for the remake here, I, I do like the homage to the OG when uh, Jason pops up out of the water and, and pulls her down. That that was a cool echo from the, the original flick. Anything else left unsaid about the Friday the 13th remake from 2009? <sighs> I just think it's a really, really effective slasher. I think it's one of the better movies in the franchise for all the things it does differently than the other ones. I think it's just, I think it's one of the best. Uh, not the best, but I think it's, it's no one involved with it needs to be embarrassed or sad about anything. They made a good movie. They made a good Friday the 13th movie, I think. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I really like this one. I'm looking at the Rotten Tomatoes page for it here, which obviously Rotten Tomatoes kind of sucks. <laughs> um, but it does give us a little bit of a, a view of what the reception of the flick was. Not great. 25% for the tomato meter for critics. Sure. Uh, audience is a little higher, 46%. Not great, but, you know. Not great, but I think it's definitely better than than what the reputation that Rotten Tomatoes would have you believe is. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it is, you know, it's not super well liked, it seems like, by the fans of the franchise. But it's also not, it seems like I see more people liking it than now than they have in the past. I think people that's fair. Kind of coming around on it somewhat. And I think that's cool. Yeah. I think it's fairly well liked in the overall. Definitely. I didn't mention it earlier, but I went and pulled up the Rotten Tomatoes for the original, which are much better. The critics, 63% audience, 60% on the, uh, Critics for the, or for the uh, Rotten Tomatoes for the original, which higher than I would have expected. For sure. I think a lot of the reviews are also, more contemporary reviews are factored in as well, and not just the stuff. Because I think it was pretty reviled uh, in, in 1980 when it came out. We've kind of already talked a little bit about the franchise. Anything else? You know, like I said, I haven't, I'm not familiar enough with a lot of these movies to really do a proper ranking and stuff. It is not my favorite slasher franchise. I think a lot of the movies are fun and I enjoy watching them, but I don't have a super deep affection for them necessarily. But uh, anything else you want to say about the franchise? Oh, I, I love it. You know, I don't think any of the movies in them are ones I would say or like in my top 10 horror movies or anything like that. But I do. I definitely have a, not just a very warm spot in my heart for them, but I mean, I, I love them. They were they were a big part of my younger burgeoning uh, awakening as a horror fan. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. I feel very lucky to grow up to have grown up when I did in the 80s and 90s. And these were a real big part of the horror scene in that time for all of us horror fans. And uh, yeah, there's there's some excellent, excellent slashers in there for, my, for what I enjoy and ask for out of a slasher. And I think the remake is a really good, it's really good at delivering what I personally want from a slasher. So yeah, I'm a big fan. Not again, not a huge fan. I wouldn't get a fucking Jason tattoo or anything like that. But I, I do think they're they're a lot of fun. I think they're great. You know, they're important. So, woohoo. Oh, uh, yeah. Well said. I, I also wanted to ask you, is the burning the most blatant Friday the 13th ripoff? In a way, because of the camp 
setting and right. stuff. I, don't, I can't think of a lot of slashers that take place at camps besides the burning in the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah, well, I mean, in Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, that's true, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and it also has fun with its own version of twisting the uh, the slasher template and myth, and that's the one that takes the the opening prologue has a, a prank gone wrong, mm-hmm. um, which is not part of any of the Friday the 13th things, unless you want to say being a shitty camper is playing a prank <laughs> on the kids. Oh, look, that one died. <laughs> that's a good, good one. <laughs> All right, well... Before we get out of here, you know, we've in every episode we're uh, throwing out a Halloween movie recommendation, not necessarily a horror movie, but a movie that kind of gets you in the Halloween spirit. You got anything you want to recommend to people for Halloween flick? I do. And if I'm taking this off your list, I'm sorry, but I got to do it, brother. It's got to be trick or treat. The Michael Doherty anthology classic that was meant to be a theatrical release, never got it, went direct to video. And I mean, was seen at like some festivals and stuff, I think. But it's just a new, it's understood now. It's a horror classic. You know, anyone who's listening to our podcast, I would have hoped that you would have seen it. So I, I only need to go into so much detail about it. But really, it's just, it's so much fun even though it's really dark and goes there in some ways that other horror movies are kind of afraid to. And, you know, maybe that might have had something to do with uh, Warner Brothers going, yeah, we're not going to put that out on theaters. There's too much dead kids in this. Halloween is my favorite horror movie set on the day. That's not really about Halloween per se. Trick or Treat is about the holiday, about the customs and about the way we celebrate it or the way we punish people for not doing things they should. Um, and the costumes and the, the parties and, uh, you know, the telling the stories and the spooky spots where something awful was supposed to have happened. And again, the pranks that you play on people. It's just, fuck, man, it's 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 dangerously close to perfect for me. I, I love it. I'm sure you do, too. Absolutely, I do. It's one of my favorite anthologies. I can't remember the first time I saw it, but for several years now, probably close to a decade, it's been a been a Halloween staple. I try to watch it either on Halloween or the weekend of Halloween, you know, or before Halloween. Yes, man. Pretty much every year. Yes, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's very. It's got a lot of funny stuff in it, and it's definitely got the Halloween spirit because it takes place on the day and. Uh, it's got like the spooky ghost story element. There's just mm-hmm. all kinds of evocative Halloween stuff. And yeah, I can't, you can't go wrong with trick or treat. You really can't. Cast as well. Yes, indeed. It's great. I fucking adore it. Yeah. I got a little bit of a, maybe some would think it's an off kilter, a Halloween flick, but I'm going to go with the guest Adam Wingard's action quasi horror flick about a uh, military guy who comes to, a friend of his family's house to like let him know what happened and kind of ingratiate himself with them. Dan Stevens, I've only seen him in a handful of things, but he's fantastic as a basically combination of the Terminator, Michael Myers. Uh-huh. <laughs> Once things, I was convinced uh, that movie was going to make him a giant star. I'm still kind of upset it, it didn't happen that way. Yeah, and was he the, wasn't he the Beast in Beauty and the Beast, the uh-huh. live action? And um, I don't think that was. Who knows? That may have made a billion dollars. I don't really. (laughs) But people didn't go see it because of Dan Stevens. I don't think people really remember him being in it. So, yeah, I I like him a lot. He's essentially the Terminator slash Michael Myers. And once the shit hits the fan in that movie, remind me of the lead girl's name, Micah Monroe. Is that right? That's right. She's fantastic in it. And it's very it's it's pretty low budget. You can kind of see that as as it plays out. But um, got some really gnarly fight scenes and it takes place in the fall and 
it kind of culminates in a uh, Halloween themed area. Like so a maze. Not, not a, yeah, it's, it's a Halloween dance. So not typically thought of, I don't think it's a Halloween movie, but I think it fits really well. And I, I don't think I, I don't think I watch it every year in October, but I usually have it on my list and sometimes I get to it. Sometimes I don't. So, uh, I think a lot of people like to watch it around Halloween because just because that end is so evocative of Halloween, it is a, the way that maze looks it's just super cool yeah and also is it lance reddick yes yeah he's he's great in everything that i've seen him in and mm-hmm. uh this is no exception so a small and important part aj bowen shows up for one scene yeah, yeah which is always nice to see no one's ever mad when aj bowen shows up <laughs> yeah and you know wingard pretty much used your next and the guest he did those back to back and People really took notice. You know, he ended up doing Blair Witch after that and then Death Note, which I think both of those were kind of considered are considered unsuccessful, although I like both of them. (laughs) I do, too. Um, And then he ended up obviously doing Godzilla versus Kong. And I assume he's going to do something really big after that. But yeah, I'm a fan of pretty much everything he's done. But yeah, the guest is a is definitely got a Halloween flavor to it. I love it for sure. I it's it's a five star banger for me. I think I think how you said you can tell it's low budget. I think it you can tell it's low budget in terms of the scope of it and what they attempt mm-hmm. to pull off. I think the way he I think that's a really good comparison to Carpenter's early stuff in that. The limitations are there, you can tell, in terms like he's only attempting so much, but he does so much with what he does have. It looks great. It's, I think it's very stylish. It's very, it's just really well done. It's a very confident picture. You can just tell the Wingard is just, he's a born filmmaker. I love the guest. I think it's phenomenal. Also, Ethan Embry. It's always nice. Yes. And Joel David Moore. Chase Williamson. It's got a great kind of indie horror cast you know like it, it you could bump it up another notch if Bria grant was in it mm. you know yeah. but it's just it's great it's i think you made a great pick there and i applaud it i applaud you sir <laughs> much appreciated yes but yeah i guess that's all we got for this episode of because movies we've got at least one more in the pipeline next week we're going to be visiting the horror classic nightmare on elm street and the um let's just say less revered remake from i think 2010 so we'll be discussing that and uh, hopefully we'll see you guys in a week aj you got anything you want to plug as far as your social media etc you can always find me on twitter at at haunted gels doing again much the same bullshit i do here please come and bullshit movies with me if you want i love to do it and yeah if anybody ever asks you why you just say because movies fuck yeah that's what it's all about, because movies, you know, don't forget it. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brodyman34, and we'll see you guys in a week. Peace.